All right, but uh, as always, let's uh, open with prayer. Father, thank you for this time we've got together to consider more of your attributes, to consider your being. Um, And today, as we look at this doctrine of the Trinity, um, that you are three persons in one God, I pray that it would be clear to us that um, this this doctrine, which has been a a source of much um, difficulty and conflict over the centuries, would would be shown to be uh, clearly scriptural, and I pray that this, uh, all, all of us here would come to a greater knowledge of who you are through this time. Uh, please be with us and uh, cause me to say only that which is true of you and keep me from error in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so now last Sunday we looked at the eighth question in the Baptist Catechism dealing with the fact that there is only one God. Um, and while I don't think that was uh, any kind of unfamiliar or difficult doctrine for any of you, I do hope that it was still helpful as a reminder to just put away any idolatry and to strengthen your devotion to the true God. Today we're going to move on to question nine of the catechism, and uh, we'll spend a few weeks looking at scriptural proof of the Trinity and just kind of coming to understand more about uh, what all the entailments, or at least some of them. We obviously can't cover everything, (laughs) Um, but uh, of the doctrine of the Trinity and so that we can understand it rightly and avoid any false understandings of it. So uh, as before, we're going to read the catechism questions that we've already looked at, seven and eight, and today we'll be adding question nine, which is written on the board here. So starting with question seven, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And then question eight, are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. All right, so now we'll add question nine. If y'all would read the answer to that with me. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory. All right, so uh, I wanted to do something a bit different today than uh, we've been doing. Rather than preparing a lecture, what I've done is gathered together as many clear scriptural proofs as I could find of the doctrine of the Trinity. And I want us to go through uh, at least some of them and discuss together how these passages prove various aspects of the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, So this will be a bit of Bible drill, so be ready to flip through your Bibles to the passages uh, and read them as we get to them. So the, the first truth of the uh, doctrine of the Trinity to look at is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, are all God. So first, the fact that the Father is God. Um, this one is 
probably the most obvious one. There are many uses in Scripture of the phrase God the Father. Uh, we'll just, uh, I've got a whole bunch of them written down, but I'll just have y'all read a few of them. Could someone do uh, John six twenty seven, 27, um, Galatians 1, 1, and James 1, 27. Just a random few of them. So John six twenty seven, Galatians 1, 1, and James 1, 27. When someone's got John six twenty seven, go ahead and read that. Anybody? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then if someone's got Galatians 1 1. Galatians 1 1. Paul, an apostle. Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Alright, and then James 1 27. Mm-hmm. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Alright. So, yeah, this phrase, God the Father, it's, uh, you know, quite clear that there is God who is the Father. And some of, as a couple of the passages mentioned, um, that he is the Father of Jesus Christ as well, which shows that he is uh, a distinct person from Jesus Christ. Um, We also have other passages that call him God our Father. just a couple of those. Romans 1 7 uh, and Philippians 1 2. If someone would read Romans 1 7 and someone else Philippians 1 2. Romans 1 7. Mm-hmm. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, all to the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Philippians 1 2. So God is not just the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, but He is our Father as well. Um, and then, actually, uh, someone read John twenty seventeen. Uh, yeah, John twenty seventeen. So he is speaking, he's got uh, four phrases here. My father, your father, my God, your God. So God, the father of Jesus Christ is also uh, our father and he is God. Now, um, the second area of this, uh, of the doctrine of the Trinity is um, concerns the person, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the son. So this one um, has a lot of scriptural testimony to it, even though it has been 
a disputed thing that there have been heresies that have uh, attacked the truth, attacked the church, and denied that Jesus Christ is God himself. Um, So a lot of different things we can look at here. First is that uh, he was in the beginning with God and that everything was created through him, which means that he was uncreated. Uh, someone go to John 1 um, and read one, uh, yeah, verses 1 to 3, first of all. And someone else go to John 17 while we're. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Mm-hmm. And then could you add on verses 10 and verse 14 as well? He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. All right, so what, um, just what are some things about Jesus Christ that we can affirm from those verses? I want y'all to answer that. He is God. <laughs> yes, but think about also the, the different attributes of God that we've considered in this series so far and, and how... Yeah, eternal. He's Christ is eternal, um, and then he's also the the creator of all things. So, uh, and we, when we were looking at the eternity of God, we talked about how he must be uh, the creator of all things if he is uniquely eternal. Um, and then someone read for, uh, John seventeen verse five. He was with uh, with God before the world existed, and he had glory with God. He, I mean, he was the glorious God Himself. Um, then next, Colossians one fifteen to seventeen. Someone go there. So, uh, first thing we have, um, he is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Now, um, this phrase, firstborn of all creation, I mean, some people have interpreted that to mean that he's a creature, just the first creature. But verse 16 then clarifies this because it says all things were created by him. So, if all things were created by him, then he must be uncreated uh, and then verse 17 states that he was before all things and that all things 
hold together in him. So what, um, well, these, for one thing, these passages ascribe to him a personal, conscious, and intelligent existence prior to when he became a man. So we know that he didn't become a person just in the incarnation. Um, he had all of these personal attributes prior to becoming a man and even prior to creation. Now, um, it mentions that uh, all things hold together in him. Of a similar affirmation to that, but a little bit different and um, more, more clear in a certain respect in Hebrews 1.3. So could someone read Hebrews 1.3 for us, please? All right, so uh, whereas Colossians 1.17 states that all things hold together in him, Hebrews 1.3 actually says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So we already considered or, or saw that he is eternal. What other attribute of God do we see ascribed to Jesus Christ in this passage? Power. Oh, power. Yeah, omnipotence. Um, so he's the one holding the universe together by the word of his power. Now, how did God first create the world? By speaking, by his word. And so it's by the word of the son that the universe holds together. That means that the son must be God. Um, also, Hebrews 1, 3, it says that he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, we're told in Genesis that we bear the image of God. Mankind does. But no other person than God could be called the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You know, we, we bear the image of God to a degree, but we do not fully... Um, encapsulate all of that whereas Jesus Christ does um, to the point that Jesus is able to say what he says in John 14 9 Could someone go there and read that one Yeah, so the one who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, we can't say that of ourselves, but Jesus was able to say that of himself. So that tells us that yeah, if, 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 we can, if Jesus can say those who have seen him have seen the Father, then that must mean that he is God with the Father. Um, so... Um, any on, just on that point or any of those previous ones uh, so far, anyone have any further comments or questions? Um, so we can uh, go ahead and look at a few others.
Could someone read? Um, I got three different verses in Isaiah, but let's just do one of them. Isaiah forty-four six. Could someone read that, please? And someone else in the meantime be flipped into Revelation one seventeen. But Isaiah forty four six when someone gets there. Isaiah forty four six. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and your Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. All right. And then someone read uh well just in the uh, to by way of comment. Isaiah 41 verse 4 and Isaiah 48 12 make very similar statements to that. I am the first and I am the last. So someone now read uh, Revelation 117. So he says, I am the first and I'm the last. Um, that, and Jesus is saying that, right? But we know that in Isaiah 44, 6, it was, uh, it was Yahweh saying that. So Jesus, by saying, I'm the first and I'm the last, is uh, saying that he is Yahweh. He is the Lord. Um, there are actually quite a few places in, in Revelation where Jesus makes similar statements. Um, such he, he says in a number of places, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Uh, like you'll probably know this, but Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. And so it's uh, the same meaning there. Um, so that, again, and that, which attribute of God does that uh, indicate? Eternal. Eternal, yeah. So he has all the attributes of God. Um for another one, okay, someone read Revelation 2.23. So what attribute do you see in, uh, in that verse? Omniscience. Omniscience. Where do you see that? He knows the yeah, he knows the minds and hearts of everybody. Um, only an omniscient being, which is God, because only God is omniscient, can do that. Um, and then uh, another more just straightforward affirmation in Scripture Someone go to First Corinthians one twenty four and read that one for us. All right, so the power of God and the wisdom of God, Christ is being called those two things. Um, 
Now, if you recall, if you've been here since the first lesson in this series, we talked about the doctrine of divine simplicity. So thinking about divine simplicity, uh, if Christ is called the power of God and the wisdom of God, what does that mean? Because mm-hmm. we talked about the uh, divine simplicity, the power of God is God. The wisdom of God is God. So if Jesus Christ is the power and wisdom of God, then that means he must be God himself. To call him those things is to call him God. All right. So um, next uh, two verses I want to look at together. Acts 7.59 and Hebrews 1.6. I get a volunteer to read each of those. Acts 7.59 and Hebrews 1.6. All right, thank you. And then someone got Hebrews 1 6. And again, when you bring the first line of the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. All right, so what do these two verses say about Jesus and specifically about our relationship to him? Or how we might act towards him? Worship him. Yes. So Stephen prays to him. And then Hebrews 1 6 says that the angels to worship him. Um, so now, how does that prove that he's God? Only God is worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of worship. Right. So uh, Revelation 22 8 and 9. Um, I'll just read that one. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So only God is to be worshipped. But Stephen prays to Jesus Christ as he's dying and the angels worship the son. So therefore he must be God. Um, next couple things I want to look at is uh, passages from uh, the Old Testament that speak about God and specifically about, um, well, yeah, so they speak about God, but then in the New Testament, uh, they are attributed to Christ. We already looked at one of those in how in Isaiah 44, when he says, I'm the first and I'm the last, he says, uh, Speaking of Yahweh, that uh, Christ says those same things about himself. We've got a couple of them uh, in first in Hebrews one. Could someone read Hebrews one eight first of all? So the author here is saying that this is specifically said of the Son, and yet the passage that's quoted says, Your throne, O God. 
Now, this is quoted from Psalm 45, and if you go to that passage in the Old Testament and look at it in Hebrew, God here is Elohim, which uh, when we talked about last week, that there are others besides God who are called gods in some sense. That is the term that is used. So it can refer to authorities other than Yahweh himself. However, can you, uh, Jesse, can you read verse 10 as well, please? You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and in the heavens are the work of your hands. All right. So that passage, that's from um, Psalm 102. And in that case, the word Lord is Yahweh. Um, And so that means that this passage from Psalm 102 is addressed to Yahweh, to the uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet... Here in Hebrews 1.10, we're told that this is speaking of the Son. Now, um, next, uh, just to sort of reinforce that point, John 8.58. Can someone go there with that one? Some of you may have it memorized. You can just say it. Yeah, um, and, and how did the people that he said that to respond? Uh, with, hmm? Kind of upset them a little bit. Yes, yes, uh, that's, that's an understatement. Yes, they, um, so he said, before, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew that, they recognized that he was saying, you know, I am Yahweh. I am the covenant God of Israel. Um, he identifies himself with the divine name. Um, and then one more looking at uh, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Someone go to uh, John twelve thirty nine to 41 and read that one. Actually, before you read that, someone be turning there, but I'm going to read Isaiah 6, and I'll read from verses 1 to 3. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So with that in mind, uh, someone read John twelve thirty nine to 41. Yeah, so it's saying that Isaiah saw his glory. Um, and just to reinforce the fact that that is speaking of this passage in Isaiah 6, it talked about uh, um, blinding their eyes there. And 
If you go a little further down in Isaiah 6, the prophecy that he's given to speak, starting in verse 9, it says, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So it's clearly a reference to this passage, Isaiah 6. And yet um, John is saying that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ at this point in time. So lastly, um, I want to use the remainder of our time looking at the Holy Spirit. So first thing, um, can I get someone to read 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 6.19? And just by way of introduction, we're looking at both the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, but also that the Holy Spirit is God. Personal, because those are two different uh, aspects here. Someone could say that the Holy Spirit is a, a divine force or some some uh, some eminence from God and not a divine person himself. So we want to look at both the fact that he is God, but also the fact that he is a person. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 3.16, first of all, if someone gets there, please read it. And then next, read 1 Corinthians 6.19. All right, um, and then First Corinthians six nineteen. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? You so, are not your own. Sorry, I stopped my quote. I didn't finish it on my printout. Sorry. Um, okay, so between these two verses, what do we see that would prove that the Holy Spirit is God? Yeah, so so verse uh so first Corinthians three sixteen says you are God's temple. Um and then six nineteen says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So unless we're going to say that uh well that these are, are two different uh things that we're we're a temple of two different things, then we must say that the Holy Spirit is God. Um and then someone go to Psalm 95, 7 to 11, and then Hebrews 3, 7 to 11. So Psalm 95, 7 to 11, and then Hebrews 3, 7 to 11. Uh, 7 to 11 in both passages actually for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as a mirror as one as on the day at Massa Massa in the wilderness when your father took me to the test and with me to the proof that they had seen my word for 40 years I loved that generation and said they are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my way. Okay, um, 
And just uh, to add to that, can you read verse 1 of that, of that psalm? Yes. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise for the rock of our salvation. All right, thanks. So the Lord, that is, if in most translations, should show up in uh, all caps, which indicates that this is talking about Yahweh. And verse 7 uh, begins with, for he is our God. Now, someone go to um, Hebrews 3, 7 to 11. Is somebody there to read that? So that's attributed to the Holy Spirit there. And it says that uh, they tempted God, but then the Holy Spirit says they tempted me there in Hebrews. So that shows us that he, that uh, the Holy Spirit is God and he is the one that was tempted in the wilderness by the people. So that shows us that the Holy Spirit is divine, but to... Um, see that the spirit is a distinct person and not merely a force uh first place to go matthew 12 31 and 32 um actually i'll read that one but uh go ahead if y'all could be turning to actually i'm going to just call some volunteers to make this uh, a bit quicker mike could you go to john 15 26 uh daniel could you do acts 13 2 um, Richard, can you do Acts 16, 6? Uh, Jason, can you do Acts 15, 28? And uh, Jeremy, can you do 1 Corinthians 12, 11, please? Um, but first of all, I was going to read, um, let's see. Matthew 12, 31 and 32, Jesus is talking here. He says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy, blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now, that means that the Holy Spirit, distinct from Jesus Christ, can be blasphemed. Um, and only a person can properly be blasphemed, not a work. And if, if the Holy Spirit was merely a, a force emanating from God, then uh, it wouldn't make sense to say that the Son can be blessed, that the, a blasphemy against the Son can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot. It'd be a nonsensical uh, thing to say. So, um, Mike, you had John fifteen twenty six. Could you 
Read that, please. When the Counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. All right. So the Spirit is uh, the one proceeding from the Father. Um, and it says that he, first of all, we have a, uh, a personal pronoun in, uh, in the passage here, but it says he will testify that is an action. So the Holy Spirit is attributed here a personal and acting consciousness in this description of his works. Um, now, just a, a, a point on the, that language that he proceeds from the Father. We affirm actually uh, following the uh, revision from, uh, of the Nicene Creed from uh, Constantinople that he proceeds from the Father and the Son. This is something that uh, historically has distinguished the Eastern Orthodox churches. They say that the Spirit proceeds only from the Father, but we affirm that he proceeds from the Father and the Son. But we'll look at that uh, more in uh, probably next week uh, or maybe the week after. So, Daniel, I think you had Acts 13.2. Could you read that, please? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, to the work to which I have called All right, so the Holy Spirit said, that's a, a personal action that the Holy Spirit took. And then Acts 16.6. 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Yeah, so um, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit acts... Uh, and makes a, a command in that case, forbidding them from doing something. Uh, and then Acts fifteen twenty eight. Uh, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So in this case, the Holy Spirit is not only uh, acting, but he's actually making a judgment, uh, making an assessment of something. Only a person has the ability to to judge things. Um, and then 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are the power of one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is a willing being, or a willing person, rather, I should say. Um, now we'll get into the will of God and, and how um, the will of God is shared among the three persons. Uh Again, probably either next week or the week after. So, and then uh, just some additional passages affirming that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal and that they are one God. Um, let's see, do we have time to flip to these? Well, we're almost out of time, so I'll just read, uh, read these. Um, actually, I'll read the first one. Can someone go to Romans 8, 9 to 11 real quick? I'll go to the first one because I'm almost there anyway. But uh, Romans 8, 9 to 11 afterwards. But in Matthew uh, 28, verse 19 in the uh, Great Commission, it says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But uh, they're to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, which tells us that they are 
equally one God if we're to be baptized in the name of uh, all of them. Uh, does someone have Romans 8, 9 to 11? Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 8, 9 to 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his through spirit who dwells in you. All right. So just uh, what I wanted to highlight there is that we have this phrase, the spirit of God, and then we have the spirit of Christ, and then we have Christ. So, um, and they're all used uh, interchangeably in this passage, which tells us, first of all, that the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are the same Spirit, which tells us that Christ is God. But then uh, just Christ himself is named in such a way that suggests that by the Spirit dwelling in us, therefore Christ is also dwelling in us, which tells us that uh, the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God and Christ are all one God and that they dwell in us together. Um. So before we close, any, any other just questions? We don't have a lot of time, but we can, we can go over a few minutes if we need to. Any other questions or points you want to bring up? All right. Well, so now uh, what I hope that we've seen here is a scriptural proof of the divinity of the three persons of the Trinity, um, as well as the, the personhood of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So next week, what we want to look at is how they relate to one another, especially in, the, uh, in their missions in the economy of redemption and how they relate um, to one another in the, what's called the economic trinity. Uh, as well as I want to look at the hypostatic union, which is the union between the divinity and the humanity of the Son of Christ. And hopefully in the next uh, two weeks, which is how long I I said that uh, I was going to be continuing before we moved on to uh, Dirk's series, uh, I do want to consider some heretical views that have sprung up over the centuries concerning the Trinity and the person of Christ so that we can look at those and see why those are contrary to Scripture. Um, And something, you know, we looked at a lot of different passages here, and I had a lot more written down that we didn't actually look at. I I do intend, probably next week, to try to come up with a a printout that I can hand out to all of you so that you can uh, hang on to those and and go back later and review these things yourself and and consider other passages of Scripture that uh, speak to this doctrine. Um, But... I appreciate y'all's interaction and participation today, and we're getting ready to go to worship our triune God. So let's, I hope that uh, this time that we've had today will help us in that to consider God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to worship Him rightly with that consideration. Um, So uh, with that... um, 
Let's see. Uh, Jason, will you pray for us?